We are doing a series on prayer, and we're doing that because the things that really matter about life in the kingdom of God cannot be done without God. Let me list some for you. Here's things that cannot be achieved without the Lord, okay? People becoming Christians doesn't happen without God. Uh, repentance, transformation in our own lives, that doesn't happen without the Lord. Intense, meaningful worship, like this when we gather, and in all of our lives. A genuine Christian community, a church, a genuine heartfelt Christian community, love for one another in the body of Christ. A desire to reach our parish, our city, the people all around us, maybe at work and in our families. A desire to affect God's world with ministries of mercy, with acts of justice, the pursuit of justice at home and even abroad. These things don't get cooked up in our hearts without the Lord. None of those things get achieved if we get the lights right, we get the coffee right, we get the midweek program right, we get the song list right. All of those things, great though they are, won't get the job done. These things are gifts from God, which he loves to give. He loves to give to those who ask him. So we're looking at prayer over eight weeks, eight-week series, eight great prayers. Last week we started with Jesus, good place to start. Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer. We thought about our Father, didn't we? Our Father. We come in all of our prayers. We come as children before our Heavenly Father together. And this week, uh, well, let me just tell you about the series. So we're doing Abraham today. Uh, we've got the Apostle Paul, the Syrophoenician woman, Jacob, Nehemiah, Hannah, and Jehoshaphat. So um, eight great prayers and their prayers. But let's turn to Abraham and arguably, I think, the very first example of intercessory prayer. Long word, not too complicated, praying for others. Uh, sort of standing in the gap and praying for the sake of others, praying to God for other people. Intercessory prayer. I'm going to read you some verses in a moment, but let's just set the scene I'm not going to assume that people know necessarily who Abraham was. We're about 2,000 years before the first Christmas, before Bethlehem, before Jesus was born as a baby, 2000 BC, and we're in the middle of Israel-Palestine. So we're a long way away from here in time and space. And the Lord calls a guy called Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and his family out of their home. They lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq, and he called them to go west, quite a long trek, and he said, I'll show you where you're going. It's an amazing story, Abraham. If you haven't read it, read the beginning of Genesis. He says, right, go west. I'll show you this land. You go there. I'll give you this land. You and your descendants will inherit it, and it will be yours forever. Uh, he does. He does that. Abraham's amazing. He goes, despite not knowing quite what he's walking into, he goes. Um, he has to take a little detour down to Egypt to see the pyramids. No, not to see the pyramids to um, get food because there's famine on in uh, Canaan. And then he comes back. He comes back to what was then Canaan. It was inhabited by Canaanites. And he's with a dude, uh, his nephew Lot is with him. And it looks like they've got quite a lot uh, going on. There's probably quite a big clan. 
And so it's overcrowding the space that they're currently in, Abraham with his nephew Lot. So they decide, right, let's just split up and find some space so we can all just get along. And Abraham goes west to Hebron, a little bit further west, and pitches his tents there and sets up an altar to the Lord and worships God there. Lot, his nephew, goes east to the plain of the Jordan, the Jordan River, and to um, a region in amongst the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, some years passed, some chapters pass in the Bible, and that's some years. And then the Lord reports this. We'll read this in a minute, but he says, chapter 18, verse 20, there has been an outcry against these cities, an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah because the sins of these cities are so grievous. Pause. Let's just come to one side for a minute. The names of these cities, and particularly Sodom, in the English language have been used and linked to describe acts of sexual immorality. And so when we think of these cities, straight away, our minds, if we know the words at least, start thinking about sexual immorality. But let me just point out the Bible's own analysis of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a little while later. This is the prophet Ezekiel writing in Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. This is what the Lord says about Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 16. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. That's referring to the city like a sister. She and her daughters and the other cities were... Arrogant, overfed and unconcerned, they did not help the poor and needy, they were haughty and did detestable things before me. There you go. That's the Lord's analysis. Actually, no explicit mention of sexual immorality there. The things on the list there, the top of the list, arrogance, indifference for the Lord and for others, which leads to a mistreatment of the poor and a whole bunch, probably, of sexual immorality. Arrogance. Indifference. They're at the roots, they're the main, they're the, they're the things underneath the surface. That's what's going on. So the Lord sees this, he sees this stuff happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he takes it very seriously. He visits these cities in judgment, and by the end of Genesis 19, the whole area is destroyed by fire, and dense smoke rises from the ruins as from a furnace. That's chapter 19, verse 28. However, as with every story of God's judgment in the Bible, every story of judgment in the Bible comes coupled with a rescue. There is a rescue alongside this one too. The Lord initiates it. He's the one who does it. He plans it. He carries it out. The Lord initiates a rescue plan through Abraham's nephew, Lot, who incidentally, he started out in tents when he went to live amongst Sodom and Gomorrah. He ended up in the city. 
He ended up pretty much, pretty much in, full, uh, in amongst it all. Nevertheless, the Lord uses this man and centers a rescue plan around him. And in fact, everyone united to this man and everyone who follows this man out will be saved. It's an interesting little picture. Here comes the Lord's judgment. But if you're united to this man, and if you follow this one out of the city, you will be spared. So it's a powerful story. Let me read you from the story. Now we're going to go just moments before. I can't do the whole thing. It's two chapters. But moments before the, the judgment and the rescue, um, Abraham is with the Lord. In fact, the Lord had visited Abraham. Um, it's the Lord and two angels. If you want to just, if you read the whole thing, you'll see the Lord comes to Abraham and comes with two angelic beings. And they kind of have, it's quite sweet, really. They kind of have a McDonald's. It's a bit of a sort of, they have a kind of burger and milkshake. He promises Abraham that he's going to have a child. And then we get this amazing moment of intercession with the Lord. And as I read it, can you just notice a few things? We'll read it together now. But what prompts Abraham to pray? Um, how does he pray? What's his attitude like? Uh, what about his persistence? Can we just notice how persistent he is? And how does it end? Right? Just think. Just see what's going on. I'll try and emphasize it as I read. So we're going to read from verse uh, 16. This is chapter 18, verse 16. Should come up on the screens. Bosh. When the, men, when the men got up to leave, so that's the Lord and two angels. When, he got up, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, this is the bit we read a moment ago, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Just, just stop there. Isn't this amazing? That the Lord, when he hears the outcry, gets personally involved. I'm going to come and have a look at this. I'm going to personally come and check this out because this is serious. Okay. Um, see, if it's bad as the outcry has reached me, if not, I will know. Verse 22. The men turned away, so that's the angels. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham, this is beautiful, remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, 
What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45, the Lord said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he, Abraham, spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, well, now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Verse 33, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Four encouragements from Abraham's prayer. Notice, first of all, what got Abraham praying in the first place, or speaking to the Lord as he is here. Verse 17, it's quite sweet, this. You know that Abraham's called a friend of God? He's called that in the Bible multiple occasions. He's a friend of the Lord. And it's interesting, just the way the Lord speaks about it, in verse 17, the Lord goes, shall I, um, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? It's kind of a, it, almost like a kind of question that, shall I tell my friend what's about to happen here? He answers his own question, verse 20. He does tell him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom, I'm going to go and visit that place, right? So the Lord breaks in to Abraham's life. He cuts up, cuts in right in front of him. And he says, I am about to head down to these cities and judge them. We might say he gives Abraham a cause and a burden. He puts something in front of this guy. Sometimes we think of prayer, don't we, as kind of like a technique or nothing but a technique. Like we think about prayer as, I know it's a good thing to do. Meditation technique, you know, establish a good rhythm, good, good for our well-being. We think of prayer like that, right? Or nothing more than that. It's not what we have here, is it? The Lord breaks in. There's a kind of an in-breaking into this man's life that troubles him he reports a real-world situation that the Lord is bringing to his attention. He's affected, and he cannot ignore it. It's unsettling. Sometimes you might think, well, prayer's meant to kind of settle me down. This isn't. This is serious and in-breaking. Now, here's an encouragement. I hope you can be encouraged by this. Do you look at the world out there, or perhaps the way we perceive the world out there, and turn to this in here and find a dissonance? What the world says out there, or the way I view the world, or the way I have understood the world, doesn't seem to match up 
with the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's ways, and there's a dissonance. You can take that as an encouragement because the Lord, you're, you're having an encounter. We often think, don't we, of having an encounter when we're together like this and we're sort of, you know, worshipping the Lord together and the music's on and all that kind of thing. How about this? Right? It's no longer the God of your imagination who you're thinking about because you've seen the world out there, you know stuff that's going on, and it's different to the God that you're presented with here. And it's messing with your head a bit. Might be that you're having an encounter with the living God. And he's beginning to prompt you and move you, make you think, stir you up, get you fired up for something, for change. The Lord met with Abraham, spoke with him, and unsettled him. And that's what started him off praying. Powerful. Second, how does he pray? A couple of things here. One of them is just so wonderful. He's so familiar with the Lord. It's extremely familiar. Um, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, verse 22, but Abraham stood before or remained there before the Lord. He was with his friend. Really special. It's also bold and risk-bearing. Because did you hear the way he was asking questions of the Lord? He was like, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Right? That's a bold question to ask the Lord. It is bold to ask the Lord, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Do you ask that question of the Lord? Will you do right here? Will the judge of all the earth do right? That is a bold question. He's also extremely humble. All the time he's going, you know, please don't be angry. I just need to ask this question again. Will you save the spirit? Will you spare this city for 30 people, 20 people, whatever? Humble. I'm dust and ashes, he says. Dust and ashes. Can I just ask you this one question one more time, please? Humble. Risk bearing bold it affects you this kind of prayer it's affecting me you can't just do it without it actually stirring you up into session like this could be risky it's gonna you know you're gonna put you could potentially be putting your life on the line praying this stuff could be risky. That's how he prays. What about his persistence? So if you haven't noticed, right, how this prayer works is he goes, all right, would you spare the cities for 50 righteous people? And then he begins to whittle it down. So he goes, all right, would you do it for 45, 40? Every time the Lord's like, yes. Would you do it for 40? Yes. Would you do it for 30? Yes. Would you do it for 20? Yes. Would you do it for 10? Yes. He's praying for the cities. He's asking the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. Might there be a way 
Might there be a way through for these cities? Might they be spared? At the same time, get this, he's discovering in his prayers, with every successive prayer, just how gracious the living God is. Every time he asks, the answer is yes. I will spare it. The Lord doesn't stop. He doesn't um and ah. He doesn't hesitate. It's like, yes, I will spare it if I find 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Abraham, if you like, he keeps on making the odds even worse. Do you see that? It's like, if the odds are even worse, could you still do something with this situation? Yes. How about now? Yes. Little illustration for this. Um, Imagine you've got a damaged car, you've written your car off. You've had a really bad car crash, and the car's all smashed up, and you take it to the mechanic. And you say, uh, the car's in a really, really bad way. I think the engine is okay. Can you fix the car? The mechanic goes, yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. And then you try again, you're like, um, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure the engine's gone as well. Um, the battery might be okay. I think the battery might be good to go. Could you still fix the car if the battery's all right? Yes. Yeah, I can fix the car if the battery's gone. All right. Um, actually, the battery's pretty knackered. Uh, all I've got is the instruction manual in the, uh, in the glove compartment. Can you still fix the car? Yeah, I can. See what's going on? You're, you're, you're beginning to have great confidence that this mechanic can fix the car. <laughs> he can do it, or she can do it. They can fix the car. Do you see the point? As, he, as you keep going, you're like, oh, this person knows what they're doing. Abraham learns of the Lord. He is the great God. He is the judge of all the earth who will do right, and he is capable. He is mighty to save, and he's willing to do it. So he discovers this in his prayers. As he prays, you notice that? As he's praying, he's like laying out the needs of the city before the Lord, and even as he's praying, his confidence is filling up inside. More and more, he's seeing, ah, yeah, the Lord is a gracious and compassionate God who is able to save. He's righteous. He'll do the right thing. And as he goes through his prayers, praying for these cities, he's learning how good and awesome is he. And then how does it conclude? This is fourth and final thing. This is how his prayers of intercession finish. Get this one, verse 33. If you've never seen this, highlight it in your Bible. Highlight it on your phone. Verse 33. Remember that Abraham's been asking the whole time, can I speak, can I speak, can I speak, can I speak? Like, yeah, asking questions. Get, get this, this is how it finishes. Verse 33. When the Lord had finished speaking with him, 
Abraham. He left, and where did Abraham go? Home. By the end of this exchange, by the end of this time of prayer, when the Lord had finished speaking a word to Abraham, Abraham was able to go home. So he he starts this time of intercession burdened with a cause. Oh, what? What's happening? And he begins to pray. Oh, Lord, will you spare it? Will you spare it? Will you spare it? For 50, for 45, for 40, and so on. And by the end of it, by the time this exchange is finished, he knows that the Lord will judge with equity. He's learned something. He's learned something deep about the Lord, and he can go home in peace because he knows, ah, yeah, the Lord's got this. He has. He has got this. He will sort it out, and he will do the righteous thing. And so he can go home. Isn't that wonderful? Let's conclude then. Intercessory prayer. Here's one example of a prayer of intercession. The Lord breaks into this man's life and gives him a burden. There's something different about the world in front of Abraham and the words of the Lord. And it stirs him up. What is going on? I am going to pray about this. He's given a burden. His prayer in those moments, standing before the Lord, it's intimate, it's personal, it's bold, and it's risk-bearing. He's prepared to take risk on board as he prays these prayers to the Lord. Thirdly, he discovers, even as he prays, in his prayers, he's discovering the goodness and grace and mercy of God, who's like the mechanic. Yeah, I can fix it. Yeah, I can fix it. Yeah, I can fix it. And by the end of it all, he can go home in peace because he knows the Lord will undertake to do what is good and righteous. And so he can go home at peace. Let's think about these things, brothers and sisters. If you've not done, we'll be thinking more about this on February 25th, about prayers of intercession, I'm sure, these kinds of prayers. Good, isn't it, though, to be thinking together even asking the Lord, show me, show me something. I thought about it, just one little application, I thought about this, even with relation to my own children. I wonder if there might be a way to raise my children, they're sort of stepping into the teenage years now, that will put something in front of them, on the one hand, with the Lord's word in their hearts, on the other hand, that will give them a burden. I want my kids to get educated. I want them to, you know, do well in school and maybe go to university and all that kind of thing. But I'll tell you what I'd love more. I would like my kids to be confronted with the world 
and the word in such a way that they are given a burden for prayer. And they want to reach out and they want to do something risky, risk-bearing for the Lord and discover in all of that how good and righteous God is. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for myself, for this church. So should we pray for that? Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Father, it's always such a treasure to dive into your word and find in it such life-giving truth that stirs our hearts, fills us with deeper joys in you, Lord God, and brings us to new places. Lord, we pray that uh, for us here, for our youth and young people this coming Friday, for all of us, whether we're senior in the Lord, new birth, newborn in the Lord, wherever we're at with our journey, Lord, increase in us a heart for prayer, for intercessory prayer, because you're laying upon us this kind of burden. Father, I want to remember uh, those in our church family, of course, who need prayer now. We want to intercede for um, those who've been in our prayer, WhatsApp, um, Bruce's cousin, Hazel's dad. We want to continue to pray for Sam, Sam Keone, as he awaits his decision uh, for a settled status here in the UK. I want to pray prayers for Revitalize this coming Friday. I want to pray for everything that this church will be doing in the coming weeks and months. I want to pray, Lord, for the finances of this church, that you continue to resource and equip us here at St. John's for the work of the gospel. And I want to pray just slightly wider open now for the Church of England as we head into a very important week at General Synod as bishops and elected clergy and lay people discuss um, matters of great seriousness. Lord, give them wisdom, humility, and Lord, may they reach decisions that represent your justice rolling like rivers and your righteousness like a never-failing stream. Be with us, Lord God, we pray, and with all those we love. In Jesus' name.